destination is the stars. the sci-fi round table i'm john cronshaw i'm shane thomas and stephanie Barr is also co-hosting today we're going to be talking about stories that are character driven and we have with us uh, g russell gainer uh, who has a pen name of a writer i'm hoping we'll have a really good conversation about this because it's one of my favorite topics thank you for holding me here what is character driven storytelling well um uh, not to do too much of a bait and switch um I, I find that uh, the best storytelling is going to be a mixture between what's considered plot-driven and what's considered character-driven. For me, character-driven is when you are investigating the characters, who and what they are, and how they become what they're eventually going to be. And you're just basically along for the ride as they go from um, wherever you find them at on page one versus where they're at at the end. In the case of, of um, one of the books here uh, called The Spatial Shard, Edgeworld. Building Edgeworld and saying what its particular definition is and then creating the characters and then stepping aside and having those characters tell me the story. Bit of a challenge because uh, <laughs> a lot of times my own opinion or perspective can tend to muddy up the waters, but when it's a free and clear transition and I find myself actually getting out of the way and reaching to perspectives that aren't necessarily uh, mainstream to my own thought process, that I find that we are as people extremely interconnected um, to boldly go and say that we are everyone uh, is proven in the fact when you actually try to see through the eyes of another, completely abandoning uh, yourself per se and coming to an understanding um that wasn't yours before you started the writing process well it sounds Um, like you're taking uh what actors would call method acting and applying it to drafting your your characters a bit yes a bit um trying to find and in this case the genie uh, imaging uh inside of g russell and tell G. Russell to step aside and let Imogene tell me, uh, what's your favorite color? Uh, what fruit do you like? Um, in this particular case, we're dealing with a character who has a backstory. She's recently lost her mother. Uh, how does that make you feel? Um, what, what are you thinking? What are you doing? What's your relationship like with your father and your little brother? And going from there. And it tends to draw you in and immerse you into the world that you're, you're actually trying to create to where these stories start telling themselves. Now, the real fun part <laughs> comes in the fact that a good story is going to have more than one character. And so you need to do that for uh, every character that you're presenting. That's you're- a good point. And I read an article by the guy that wrote the Avengers movies about uh, having multiple points of view in fantasy <laughs> fiction. And and one thing that he said is just because the Avengers are a team and they're all pointed toward the goal of defeating whatever bad guy, that doesn't mean they're all doing it for the same reasons or all going to take the same approach. Exactly. To me, the difference between plot driven and character driven is what happens in the story is determined by the characters that are established 
which is similar to what you're saying, versus what you've already decided they need to be doing. In a plot-driven story, I often see characters doing things that I think are really out of character in order to do something that the plot requires. Stephanie, are we talking about pantsing now because our characters are so developed we can let them live? I I would not be surprised if your majority of character-driven folks are more likely to be pantsers. I'm not just saying that because I'm a pantser. (laughs) but I do think that the two of those have a tendency to go together with me. I actually have characters before I even have a scenario. I go, I'd like a character that does this, you know, has this aspect maybe to an extreme and then the downsides that go along with that and, and put those together. And I usually come up with more than one character. I like character interactions. That's my favorite part of writing. So I'll try and find characters that are different but can work together and once i have characters in my head then i come up with a scenario it might be science fiction or it might be fantasy or it might be whatever and i put them together and i don't really have trouble figuring out you know the direction they're going but a lot of times i have to really just like you was saying i really have to stretch my ability to empathize with a different position different viewpoint, different experience so that I can understand it well enough to write it. Uh, Because of course I haven't experienced all of this and some of the people have views that are not ones I'm particularly comfortable with. And uh, sometimes I have to do research into pretty scummy people in order to understand (laughs) villains. And then your Facebook feed is just horrible with the ads afterward. (laughs) I I have a book on, I have a book called hunting humans. That's all about um, modern serial killers. Wow. I can only read a couple pages at a time because the real stuff is much worse than you get in movies. Oh yeah. I I worked at a bookstore as a high school kid and uh, that was my section was the true crime. It's, it helps me, keeps me grounded so that I make sure my my bad guys are plausible. After my first novel, I got feedback that there weren't a lot of distinctions between my characters. So after that, I made it a point to do things like fill out a character interview to get to know them better and uh, started thinking about things more in terms of, well, what is an event like this going to do to the character? And I I hope that I'm writing more lovable characters as the result of giving it some forethought. But uh, for someone like myself that maybe focuses on a plot and then tries to lump characters into a more believable person, what other steps ought I to be taking uh, to, to make a really believable character? When I design my characters, I start with a flaw, a big flaw, major flaw. And I know I must work back from that. So it's like, okay, this is the flaw. How is that going to affect the ending? How is that going to affect the midpoint? And then kind of build it from from there. But I, I always start with the, you know, the negative traits of this character and what they need to kind of improve so they do have a kind of satisfying arc across the story. I've written one character uh, who was basically, well, what if he was a guy like me but made all the outrageous decisions I couldn't? Um, so now I'm interested to go back and read it to see what my flaw is, if I have built it in. (laughs) Most of my characters start out with some of my characteristics, and then I add characteristics that belong to somebody else. And so I end up with something that's kind of like me, but not like me in other ways. 
And then I might take certain characteristics and bring them to an extreme or damp them down so they're less prevalent. I, I don't know. I love playing with characters. It's an obsession. But I always try and make at least one character so charming that I don't mind reading the book 200 times that you have to do in order to have a finished product. <laughs> You're going to spend a lot of time with the characters. You need at least one character that makes you happy, you know, that you really enjoy spending time with. That's for me. And uh, now everybody is different, but that's, I have to have at least one character that I just adore. For me, I like to have the characters who are complete dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love writing them. There's, um, there's a really great resource actually that um, really helps when I come up with, well, all characters actually, but um, there's, a, there's a book called The Negative Trait Thesaurus. <laughs> across that, but it's really good because it'll have a negative trait, it'll have it have like how that comes across in positive ways, negative ways, and also the possible reasons for that. So you can have the kind of backstory stuff tied wow. into the trade <laughs> and then think about how they react. So I'd recommend that book as a resource for, for everyone. That sounds great. And guys, look forward to this. I just read one of John's upcoming short stories and he did an excellent job of describing a real dick character. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> Russell, we know that characters have to be quirky and they have to have flaws. Uh, what else would your characters do or have in order to stand out and move a plot? I think you just got to give them enough room to, or, or shall we say, be courageous enough for them to do things that you yourself wouldn't do. And beyond the outer rim, uh, the main character is so damn noble. He drives me up the freaking wall and I want to choke him to death. He's the sort of person who, even when he's got uh, an enemy under his mercy, and he knows that leaving this particular person alive is probably going to come around to bite him in the ass later, that he'll still do the noble thing. And I'm screaming at him, finish him, please. I don't want to write him anymore. To let it go, and I find myself not so much a writer, but the first audience member. And in taking that viewpoint, I find that uh, I can be uh, amazed by some of the things they come up with. And I get getting back to Shard, don't want to give the spoiler alert, but there's an instance where uh, the main character, Imogene, has an opportunity to see her mother again. And like I said, uh, the character starts off um, still in the throes of a recovery of, of, of losing her parent, but she chickens out and pulls away. Much to the, <laughs> much to the angst of her little brother, uh, her father, uh, said character's wife, and the writer, me, going, what are you doing? What can you do to stop self-identifying and to really take that plunge into, I can see how it might feel limiting uh, to write from a, you know, the antagonist or some kind of villainous point of view where you don't want to be that person. So how do you separate you from from the character you have to kind of let in your head in order to have the scene for me it's it's a matter of switching the channel uh g russell is nowhere to be found when i'm in edgeworld if i'm writing imaging then i'm totally focused on what imaging is doing if i'm writing samantha vey and i'm trying to get the shard back then hell have no fury like this particular woman scorned um and i, I find myself being that uh, antagonist being that nemesis and downright enjoying myself to the point of, you could call it operational schizophrenia, 
Well, I'll have myself a nice little two o'clock in the morning wake up session talking to the character. It says, okay, uh, guess what? Chapter three, you didn't do it right. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm on chapter 21. Well, I hate to break it to you, but chapter three is wrong. Wow. And having to go back and say, well, if I change chapter three, it changes everything thereafter. And having the character go, I hate it for you. Let's get to work. <laughs> it's just one of those things where you have to sigh, cuss a couple minutes and just dive off the board uh don't burn any pages don't delete any pages but go through and and do the work and i find that 11 times out of 10 when i listen to them that it's a it's a better story i remember um speaking on a panel with gene wolf and uh jim butcher and we were talking about uh character driven uh versus uh plot driven and jim butcher was very much plot driven and Gene was very much character driven and I was the ping pong ball going between them. However, the moment that uh, it was asked of, of the panel, exactly what do you do to start your process? And I, uh, when I told them that I, I let the characters, I relinquish control and I let the characters tell me what they're, what they're doing. And of course, you do have to keep a certain boundary or else you're just going to have chaos um, uh, about the storyline. Because sometimes that wild thought will creep in. Um, but I've learned to identify more often than not that wild thought is usually me arguing. Uh, no, let's go left because I know left is safe. <laughs> All right. I already built this building and I know that left is safe. So let's go left. And you, I have learned how to quiet down and let the other uh, voices prevail. Let the other characters express themselves. And it's an exploration of them. Uh, it's an exploration of, of, of myself and coming to an understanding with uh, the different types and, and tropes, if you would, of, of society, humanity, stretching each definition to its maximum and then, you know, finding new ground. And to touch on what uh, Stephanie was saying uh, earlier, I think I'm going to buy that little medic uh, alert bracelet that says uh, delete my browser history. <laughs> because if I collapse, <laughs> please delete that because someone's going to get the wrong idea. Um, the things that I find myself researching in order just to get an idea as to how other people are thinking, how other people are feeling and how they might react in a certain situation. But for me, it's always uh, the discipline of getting G. Russell out of the way and letting the characters have their fun, letting them drive the, drive the car down the road. Uh, do you write out a plot before you get started? I used to, <laughs> but after spending weeks upon weeks of putting in an outline, and once the writing gets started, they get the page for the outline, and someone says, right turn! And, you know, you have to chunk the outline because it's no longer you know, um, germane to what's going on. I only outline to- about a quarter of the book at a time. That way I don't have to... Because I feel like I need it that way when I sit down, I know where to kind of launch and what my goal is. Right. But then if I plot too far out, it you know, things happen when I'm writing that I didn't plan on. And all of a sudden, I would have to redo the plot. So I just leave it open. And then once I hit that, okay, now I'm a quarter of the way in. I've done all my introductions. We know who everyone is. We know what the mission is. What now? Then I'll plot the next section or possibly the whole middle. Well, yeah. I found in the mantle of uh, world building that I'm engaged in 
that I build a, a timeline. Okay, this is where the character's at at this moment. What are these guys doing over here? And that helps me predict where their lines might um, might meet. And okay, this is where our hero might meet the antagonist, or they might miss them by mere moments. But um, find some evidence of them or some exactly. catalyst to start the plot. Gotcha. And and I'm finding that uh, a number of readers find that <laughs> find that harrowing and interesting at the same time. They're like, oh no, they're gonna. <laughs> There's no way that the protagonist is ready for this antagonist right now. And then, oh, they don't really meet. But, you know, that's to me, I've always felt, uh, in fact, it goes back to the, the time game system, that the more we try to mimic what life deals us, um, the more we're able to get into this whole fantasy. Just Just because you never know what's going to happen on any given moment, even if you think you know yourself to uh to a t i'll just give you one quick example i we could all sprint 100 meters 10 times over and we'll all record our times and and get a nice little idea of how fast we are okay now let's all tie raw meat on our backs and release a pack of hounds i guarantee you the times will change Mm. and being able to step into that direction has always been the, the the thing that's going to draw me to keep going into that research keep delving deeper into the differences between people. I find it interesting how we are both character-driven writers, but how different the way we start out is. And I think part of that is when I was growing up, I found myself fascinated. I I'd actually read several books about multiple personality. Back then it was called multiple personality disorder. Then it was something, a disassociative identity. And now they've called it something else. I can't remember what it is. I, I can't do acronyms anymore. But I found it interesting to see all these diverse personalities and what drove them, created them, how they work together. Uh, A really good book for that, by the way, is When Rabbit Howls, but it's harrowing to read. But interestingly enough, the second man I married, his mother has that particular disorder. And so I got to see it firsthand. But I also realized that I spent much of my time by reading that learning how to try and figure out how someone else was thinking. And again, that's really played a big part in my real life because I have two children on the spectrum and they don't think like most people do. And so I spend a good deal of my time loving this person, but clueless as to what motivates him, not understanding what's driving my daughter. And I think that's really helped me as a writer because I love writing characters and coming up with rationales for their behavior that a reader can understand and help them identify different ways of looking at the life, things that drove them to be, you know, you might have a character who's very abrasive and not hard, not easy to like, but when you find out where she came from and what built her, then she's much more approachable and you can even identify with her. And I've been wanting, I've been doing that from the very, I just love building those kind of stories where even people you didn't know you would like, they end up growing on you over time. And the interactions with the other characters that help some heal or can do more damage is to me the most fascinating part about any book. Russell, I have a question from Adam who could not make it tonight. He Uh wants to know, he says, I really like writing atmospheric stories. 
how can a character development be used to build atmosphere? Well, in as much that um, atmosphere for me is kind of like right on the kin to uh, mood. A lot of times that character, depending upon uh, how it's established, goes a long way to creating an atmosphere. For instance, if when you're writing the dialect of said character and you start changing how it talks and how it sounds just by how you spell a word, it begins to create a, a bit of a different type of feel to it. Uh, if you want to draw out and make it sound like it's maybe from somewhere near the Southwest, you can do that as well. For me, it's always been one of those things of if I'm spinning that wheel in my mind and I am creating the character, where they come from is one of the big questions because it is one of those things that can help you develop that character. And in the development of that character, the uh, environment that they bring along with them, I think will help build all sorts of, of atmosphere for a storyline. And also goes a long way when you're choosing your, your setting uh, for, for your story as well. Something else that you can really use, I think, to help set mood is your emotional state of your character. If I'm in talking about a horror story as an example, if I've got somebody who's losing their mind and becoming a psychotic that ends up taking over the story, you can see that change over time in little things that he says and, and acts over time. You could see it in the response of your victim becoming more and more uncomfortable, frightened, and you could diffuse that with the character who's not bothered by it or sees it a different way. So you can really manipulate your emotional mood of your story with the character's emotions and reactions to what's going on. I was thinking about this in terms of if you're deep within a POV, and they are experiencing the world, they're seeing new things, they will notice things that are specific to their experience and things that maybe make them feel nervous or are unusual or things like that will depend and change the atmosphere. You know, if you go into an elf world and you think, oh, my God, this is crazy, you know, to all the elves that are there, it's, it's nothing. You know, it's just normal life. So you can get the atmosphere of uneasiness or whatever just from the POV and the thoughts and reactions. I, I think maybe describing from your character's point of view, how they interpret the atmosphere to match their mood. I, I think it's also how people react to something. One of the things that I was, always thought was interesting with Edward Scissorhand, this is a preposterous concept, <laughs> but the way all of the actors and the way the story was written, where everybody just accepted it as, okay, so he's got scissors for hands. It's no big deal. <laughs> but by making that normalized, they changed the tone from something that could have easily been a, a very scary story, a very traumatic story, and they made it fun and interesting and feel more natural so that we could get the characterizations better understood. I think that's a good way of showing your the way your characters respond to whatever your stimulus of what's happening, it could make them scary and make it more like a terrorist sort of thing or a thriller. They could be like, grab my sword, let's go into it, and now it's an adventure that you're talking about. They could be, all right, so what are we going to do to combat this? And it becomes more of a strategy sort of story. 
I mean, how people react to what happens to them really depends, I think, makes a big difference in the tone and the mood of the story that you're writing. I think the reader is going to pick up on things that should scare them or things that even if it would normally scare them as a real person, they might not be scared if their characters are not, if their characters are facing it straight on, as an example. There's an interesting set of videos on YouTube that I've kind of watched too many of for a while that were um, (laughs) people editing trailers for existing movies, but as if they're different genres. So you had someone editing Mrs. Doubtfire to be a kind of psychological thriller. <laughs> like, that was really good, really well done. So yeah, have, have a look at those anyway. But that, that, that's kind of just how you can just have a little slight turn on something and then suddenly it's, it's scary, it's, it's threatening. and Or it's funny. If any of us go outside and it's the same every single day and the only thing that has changed is our mood, how we would describe that will change, even though the scenery is the same. Yeah, anytime that you're looking through the eyes of, of, of anyone, first of all, you can, you can go with a different viewpoint. And then, like you were saying, looking through the very same eyes after something has happened, how they see things in a totally different way. That's totally true. Are there any particular stories or characters where you think that this has been done really well and maybe have inspired you? It's always going to be a little bit on the bias because um, one of the very first um, stories that was read to me was by my my grandmother, and she read to me uh, Three Musketeers. And I fell in love with flawed heroes. Uh, Each of the Musketeers had one particular issue that would make them uh, less than par. Uh, They were either womanizer or drunkards or a religious zealot, if you would, even or just someone who was unexposed to the world and completely naive, but still they managed to do the right thing. And it was always more of an engaging story for me when the people going through whatever uh, trial and tribulation uh, you find on the page is more like a person I'm more likely to meet when I look in the mirror. Just to bring it into an even more open and, and pedestrian scheme, why we are so more drawn to Peter Parker than we are Bruce Wayne. Because everyone has been that kid in high school, worried about uh, whether or not they're meeting up, popular, you know, dealing with uh, the person that's attracting them. Or someone who's got so many gobs of money that by the time they start counting, they're richer than by the time they finish. Very hard for us to wrap our minds around that because no one's been in that situation. So uh, making those characters, people who you're going to meet every day, to me, always makes the story more interesting, which is not to say I don't enjoy Batman, because I do, but uh, I'm more drawn into a situation to where the characters seem grounded, they seem more real, they seem like people that I can understand without having to go through too many mental calisthenics to try to understand what they're thinking and doing. I like characters that are proactive. I like characters that you go, all right, here's your fate. And they go, yeah, no, that's not going to work for me. Move out of my way. I've got three bookshelves over here. And and they're a complete eclectic mix of genre from historical to romance to science fiction to fantasy, everything in there. Uh, But they all have those characterizations in common uh, that I enjoy so much where the characters are not passive, where they are 
finding clever ways of, of addressing their problems and, and not just sitting back and going, well, there's nothing I can do. And uh, I think that's one of the things that I loved about books. Uh, I started out, Heinlein's a good example of characters that I can just identify with as, as soon as they start talking. I can get a feel for who they are and what they sound like and that I'm there for the ride. And Georgette Hare, she writes historical romance, but she did the same thing. Her characters were so lively and, and personable and easily identifiable, even the ones that were you know, not necessarily the nicest people, but you could, you could identify with them and follow along on that adventure gladly because uh, they weren't just going to uh, let events happen on their own. They took steps on their own in order to make the destiny they wanted. And uh, I have a soft spot for characters like that. I, don't, I won't lie. You know, it's not sci-fi or fantasy, but Holden from Catcher in the Rye. I read yes. that book <laughs> on a uh, road trip with my family one summer when I was right around his age. And it was just, you know, bored in the car and then having this incredibly deep, almost like listening to a podcast of a person just telling you about their weekend. Uh, it, it was just, I was having that experience and, you know, I've never, never, you know, as a kid, never spent the night alone in a city or called a call girl or anything like that. But I imagine that's probably very accurately what it would feel like. I don't know. I was thinking uh, while you guys were answering and wondering, um, another example would be Eleanor Swift's hooks, uh, fortunes, fools books full of very interesting characters. And uh, I enjoy reading them, even though sometimes the things they do will just get me so frustrated, but they're believable. Uh, but back to Catcher in the Rye, it just, it's, I don't know, it came, I, I must have read that book over 20 years ago. And it's just probably one of the best examples of just really pulling me into a character. Also, the first Dragon Riders of Pern book, the woman that was the protagonist. Lessa. I really enjoyed how she was in a position of, you know, society was uh, very male based at the time and she was very subservient in some ways culturally, but then she has these like courageous moments where it changes the whole world based on her just, you know, kind of defying that convention and trying what she had to do anyway. And then she ends up in a leadership role. I thought that was another great uh, character example. You'll see that on my wall, those books, not catcher in the ride didn't catch me the same way, but mm -hmm. The ones with the Dragon Riders of Pern, big influence on me growing up. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't discover McCaffrey until I was older and, and driving around and finding uh, audiobook CDs at truck stops that were on sale. I, I caught a couple of her books that way. Catherine Rye for me, I read that when basically I'd just been kicked out of school. So it was like, um, that was a massive book for me. I'd, I'd been oh, kicked wow. out of school <laughs> and then I picked up this book at random and I was reading it. It's like, holy crap this you know it was like a real eye-opener for me in terms of character but the stories i think of in character like robin hobb most of her stuff i cannot abide i cannot read her stuff i think it's overblown overwritten and um, there's far too many adverse for my taste but i love fits in the full series i love those books farseer books and just those characters fits and night eyes and the fool i just think are tremendous and i'll read them for hours and hours and love it i mean you mentioned gene wolf earlier his book the new sun and the character in that severian is tremendous i love that series and i think as a character and as a narrator 
Like he's an interesting one because he's a unreliable narrator, and it's really difficult to actually get what's going on a lot of the time in that book just because of the characterization and because he's writing it as basically the ruler of Earth to make his days as a torturer's apprentice and then kind of leaving and becoming the Autarch and all this stuff. But it's so convoluted in its style and there's all this stuff where you can read a line and, and have to kind of go back to it to actually unpick what was said and what was missed out. And it's like a puzzle and it's it's amazing. And And that's all to do with this character, this really intriguing character. So, yeah favorite ever i think chuck palinick does a great job and i uh enjoyed his character in fight club which you know of course really turns out to be just one character also i read a book called damned about a adolescent girl that went to hell and it's about the hierarchies of hell and how she finds she's getting along and has this kind of spiritual development while being damned and I, I uh, listened to him on Joe Rogan experience recently catching up because I listen to so many audiobooks, I fall years behind uh, <laughs> on podcasts. Um, and he has a background as a journalist. So he probably spends a lot of time kind of interviewing his characters before he gets going. I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, my, my background's in journalism and I think in terms of characters, I think one thing I think of, Oh, this, this is going to be like this guy meets this guy, you know, like people I've met and, you know, cause I, I used to be a political reporter. So I've met prime minister and, you know, kind of people in the higher echelons, uh, current prime minister now, Boris, I met him. Wow. <laughs> so, he was just like an amazing, amazing prick. You know, it was uh, <laughs> really, like when you read my dick characters, it's like, there is a bit of Boris in there. There's a bit of, which goes, back to, which goes back to why you like to write about them is because that's oh, what you were yeah. doing in a former life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in, interacting with these, uh, just the social, you know, I've, I've worked, I used to work with someone who's a sociopath as well, I'm, I'm quite sure. I was thinking as well, actually, there's, there's a few more that I've been reminded of now. I don't know if you've ever read any of the Star Wars novels oh as many as i can as many you know you know the timothy zahn ones and oh yeah when when uh, luke goes off to fight the lizard people right after return of the jedi (laughs) i remember that from my high school library summers yep (laughs) i don't know what it is he's like some sort of admiral or something someone in the empire there's a really interesting character in that who is like really interested in art and culture and he kind of uses the art and culture to understand the planets that he's going to be taking over and stuff. And I also wow. think he was a great character. <laughs> That's Billy a Pilgrim bit of sociopathy, well. right? Is I, I, I want oh, to get yeah. to know you <laughs> to learn how to undo you completely. <laughs> and then uh, I think of like Billy Pilgrim as well in um, Slaughterhouse Five by um, Kurt Vonnegut, which is another tremendous book and character. Yeah, that's a classic I've never read. Oh, it's it's brilliant. He's I don't know if you've read any of his books, but no. he's got a great character who's recurring through his books called Kilgore Trout, who is um the best science fiction writer that no one's ever heard of. Um <laughs> so he's the world's greatest sci fi writer. But <laughs> you can only read his stories in like the back of porn mags and stuff like that. And, yeah, he's he's just a great recurring guy. One of the things that I think is really important for me as a character writer is getting feedback from the people who have read it. And there is nothing that I like better than having somebody go like uh, one of my beta readers read catalyst, which is the next book that's coming out in November. And she said, 
I identify so much with Chloe, it hurts. And I really found that so important. I mean, that was exactly what I wanted somebody to be able to do is understand because in some ways she's more passive than some of my characters. And some of her stuff is kind of hard to understand because she came from a place where she was broken. And I, I was really gratified that she was able to see and understand what drove Chloe in the story. So I'm throwing that out there that I think um, that's one of the things I love doing is having somebody go, you know, I love this character. This character is like my favorite, or I'm glad you didn't actually kill him or, or any of those other things with a character I've written. Let me Even ask you one this. of my favorite comments. Uh, he goes, you know, you write a great hate sink. That's what they were talking about. My villains that they're so easy to hate. It's a really nice feeling when readers get what you're trying to do with the character and it, it resonates with them. I love that. It's, uh, it's, you know, when uh, you make an overture toward a particular part of society that you don't belong to, but your character does, and people within that uh, category go, yeah, you got it right. You just have to go, yes. That's, that's got to be a big moment because I, I know I am always nervous to make sure you're you know, not saying anything that would be not representative of a group or hopefully you've written them as a person and that individual can own their actions rather than their community, but it can always make you nervous. You don't want to you know, step out of line. And uh, what does your intended audience have to do with characterization? Stephanie, that's what I wanted to ask you before. I tend to write for myself and that's going to sound incredibly self-absorbed, but I write the kind of books that I like to read. So I'm looking for the kind of readers who like characters who like to see growth, who are open to, you know, having a certain open, because I'm a big tolerance is a real big thing that I, I want to make sure is, is common in my book. And a lot of times somebody who isn't necessarily as tolerant comes and approaches it during the course. I want somebody who's going to be open enough to that idea that they can appreciate that that was growth and not regression I'm looking for the kind of character who who cares about people, who's who's empathetic, who wants, who isn't just looking for uh, something shallow, but wants something that is a story that's going to stick with them and that they'll remember later going, oh, yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. But not just because it was fun, but because the people involved were ones they cared about. And, and unfortunately, it's really hard to find that demographic and put it into an ad <laughs> yes for me i suppose it's, i almost go with like a top low resolution trope for my main character and then build on that so for example in my post-apocalyptic stuff my main character is a you know the lone cowboy kind of character which is the trope of post-apoc but he's also a pacifist and he's also a former drug addict and has his own kind of struggles and mental issues and things like that with my fancy stuff, I've got a princess who's a reluctant princess. You know, that's a trope in fantasy. But uh, what I've done with her is um, her arc is going to be a bit of a dark one and that she goes and joins a military order and ends up doing lots of horrible things. So, it's, yeah, I suppose it's starting off with that low-resolution trope thing and then working down. The only thing that I haven't done that with was my novel blind gambit which was just more of a it's the only 
novel, I think, that I've done, which has been for a particular purpose and for no audience. And that was just to kind of get off a lot of my issues that I have with representations of people with blindness and just the attitudes and things like that that go around it. So it's almost like a vehicle, not to be preachy, but as a vehicle to kind of open that discussion up, I suppose. I enjoyed that book for the same reason. Just, I I mean, most people are well-intentioned when they approach a blind person, but as the characters in that book have pointed out, maybe certain things are better to do upon meeting somebody with that disability than, you know, pretending they're incapable. Yeah. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's a low resolution thing. Again, it's like with a low resolution thing of identifying a person just by their group or disability or their color of their skin or something like that, then you're going to write crude stereotypical characters in my humble opinion. Yeah. Perhaps when you're writing outside of a group, you can identify with uh, having a character driven approach can really help you write a person rather than a stereotype. I suppose it's the thing as well of falling into that trap of like, okay, uh, I've got characters who would tick the boxes of different diversity groups and things like that. And it's like, they're just people, you know what I mean? And whatever the, diversity thing is is so low down as a thing for me i want the individual and the personality and their internal conflicts to come out above everything else if you see people as people instead of what they are you know some characterization then i think you'll tend to be a lot more open to seeing all people as people instead of some characterization and i think that's a very healthy thing yeah seeing people other than yourself struggling is like well hey i have struggles and they have struggles we can't be that different there's a a lot of emphasis away from kind of common humanity stuff and um i I think that's something as right as we can help with (laughs) the whole point of reading stories is to experience something you're not going to do during your regular working day or school day or whatever it is your your daily routine so to have more voices and more distinction and variety is only a good thing. We, we, we approach the we are everyone mentality. Uh, it makes for, what was the word that, um, oh yeah, Gene Roddenberry. And one of my, my, my favorite things from Gene Roddenberry was that science fiction allows you to talk about people without offending them. Because you're able to create people that are um, demonstrating uh, ethics or beliefs that you might be able to stand back and go, oh, that's completely crazy, completely stupid, and learn from that and bring it into your own life. For, for, for example, one of my favorite episodes uh, from the old classic Star Trek has got to be the uh, alien race that was half white, half black, and with, I mean, straight down the middle, the left half was white or the left half was black. And they were having a civil war because the left black people couldn't stand the left white people. And, you know, the, the crew is, is looking at them like, what are you smoking? I mean, <laughs> you're, you're both these two colors. What's going on? And it helped uh, me identify with, wow, that's something we can can bring into our own lives and go you know, this whole color thing is just moot and, and superficial. Um, and while there's cultures, of course, associated with that, that you just can't abandon, uh, at the base of it, I mean, we're all basically the same person uh, once you get under the skin. 
and, and that helped me actually see that. Um, as far as characterizations in uh, some of my writing, I've always tried to present um, people that when you're done and you've closed the book, uh, despite the fantastic things they might have done in the story, you still come away feeling like if I know that person or I could be that person. That Star Trek episode uh, really reminded me of the Dr. Seuss story about the speeches with the star bellies and uh, one had right. stars and, and <laughs> right. then they, and some slick guy comes with a star imprinter and remover and just makes money hand over fist exploiting their insecurity <laughs> about their two little clicks. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big thing with uh, Gulliver's Travels is they had those two societies that were a war over whether or not they broke the small end or the large end of their hard-boiled eggs first. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's genius. Jonathan Swiftwood's just amazing. Cutting through stuff like that, it's brilliant. Yeah. It, well, it is grounded in the differences between certain sects of religions when you look at what fundamentally led one leader to start their own smaller group that maybe later gained dominance. It can seem every bit as silly as stars on bellies or you know, white on left or white on right. So perhaps a lot of these philosophical life lessons are actually inspired by what people need to hear, but you just need to abstract it enough where you can kind of laugh at the absurdity of how we're really being hung up on things. Well, well I think that was the whole thing with Jonathan Swift is he wrote satire. And so a lot of the people who are necessarily involved in that satire didn't necessarily catch on. But in hindsight, a lot of it is really crystal clear. He didn't pull any punches. Some of his stuff is is brutally satirical, attacking one misguided view that leads to a lot of pain. And if we can help with stuff like that as writers, then that's a good job done as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Russell, where are some links we can find you or, or some of the titles of your books that our listeners can get? The first thing we've got going now is called the Confederacy of the Quill. And you can find us at confederacyofthequill.com, a group of authors and artists coming together for a collaborative effort for putting together the Silvermoon Chronicles, which is our recurring anthology of serials and short stories. And Volume 8 is due out on Valentine's Day 2020, along with the offering Cybermoon 2020 in honor of Cyberpunk the uh, role-playing game. As far as uh, the book, I'm pushing The Spatial Shard, the prelude to the Edgeworld series, where we answer questions about where Atlantis went off to and why it left in the first place. And a young girl who wakes up in the middle of a landlocked country after dreaming about her late mother and the surfing lessons that she used to give her and finds that she's got salt water in her hair. And as always, uh, the frequent visits to the round table itself. Everyone that just stumbled on us in podcast land, uh, we are a group of authors, the sci-fi round table on Facebook, or if you're just a reader and like to know what authors are up to and occasionally get a great book, check out reading the round table of science fiction and fantasy. It's our subgroup aimed at readers rather than writers, but I book geek. So I spend a lot of time there myself. If you're interested in me, I'm at the Science Fantasy Hub uh, doing reviews as well as collaborative projects with other authors and my own book series, The Anki Legacies. Uh, I'm at stephanieebar.us, and I also have a 
Facebook group called uh, Cats and Dragons. For me, just go to johncronshaw.com or you can find the Ravenglass Chronicles on the Amazon. Um, I've also got Wizard of the Wasteland, which is the first book in my Wasteland series, and Blind Gambit are referred to as well, which is my book about visual impairment and a love letter to video games. So feel free to check that out. And also fish back through our old episodes. I read an excerpt of uh, one of the Blind Gambit chapters, so you can check that out before you buy. Russell, thanks so much for joining us. I had a great talk here, and I hope to uh, listen to this again when I'm doing characterization before I start my next project. Yeah, <laughs> had a great time. Thanks for having me. Okay, John, Stephanie, uh, nice talking to you guys. I'll uh, talk again soon. Listeners, um, check out Russell, and I'll see you next time. All right, bye. Bye-bye.